Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. I'd say on this beautiful summer morning, but boy, is it smoky. We have some issues up there, folks. We'll talk about the fire's impact a little bit during the show today, although we won't know the impact from all these fires for for years, actually, what it may do. We'll also talk about the impact that the heat has on both animal behavior and human behavior and how we should uh, approach some of these activities. Going to talk a bunch of fishing going to talk some hunting we're going to do a segment in the second hour on muzzle loaders picking out the right charge the right bullet those type of things so we've got a lot of things to cover if you follow us on facebook at uh, terry wickstrom outdoors you would probably know that there's a good chance we have a trivia today and we'll be giving away a prize as always you know we post information on our facebook page about this show about our youtube channel the best of fishing with terry wickstrom we post about ongoing uh, issues in the outdoors and about opportunities in the outdoors. Uh, and we also talk about trivia on there. So a lot of times the answer to the trivia question can be found on that Facebook page, The Best of Fishing, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You know, there's a lot of things, too. During the course of today, when you think about what we're talking about, because of the fires, because of the weather, you really have to plan ahead. We've got dropping water. We're going to talk about that, so you don't want to head out to a lake without knowing and be out camping and fishing and hiking and doing things responsibly because we're going to get pushed into crowded more crowded spaces with what's going on let's go right to the phones now and joining us he's a very frequent contributor he started uh, many years ago at in fisherman's camp fish he's a guide Uh, he's a very accomplished angler Uh, brad peterson good morning brad good morning terry how's it going it's going pretty good. Now, are you on the water this morning? I am. We're out at Boyd Lake, well, uh, dealing with uh, a little bit of that smoky conditions you were talking about. Yeah, I'm not that far away, of course, where I live in Fort Collins, and it's uh, there's some smoke in the air. I can taste it. How are the water levels at Boyd right now, Brad? You know, Boyd is dropping. It's probably dropping about uh, a foot a week right now. So, but... But they were able to put some water in a little bit earlier this year. So Boyd actually is probably doing better than most of the rest of the lakes out here in the northeast part of the state. So I I would think that, you know, Boyd's going to be okay for boating uh, going through the fall. But, uh, you know, we've been looking and uh, Jackson and Jumbo and a lot of those bodies of water are, uh, boy, it, it could be in the next few days that uh, the boat ramps are going to be out of water and and tough to launch. Well, before we get to Boyd and what's going on with the fishing there, what bring us up to date from what you do know on some of those other reservoirs. Well, right now, um, so what's going on here in the northeast is you've got Jackson is less than two feet at the end of the boat dock. They're they're not recommending any B-hole, deep boats launch. Um, hand launch craft, you know, shallower boats, stuff like that can still launch. But I'm going to guess that that boat ramp, boy, if if not by the end of the weekend, if fairly soon it's going to close. Sterling, the uh, the Elks ramp has closed. 
which is the north boat ramp. The south boat ramp still open for people to be able to get out there. And then Jumbo, uh, they're drawing it down real fast. The boat ramp currently is still open, but it could be in real tough shape in the next uh, two, three weeks here if we don't get additional water. And then right up in your neck of the woods, uh, they're drawing horse tooth down. And I'm hearing that sometime in October, they'll be closing that down to boating because of how low they have to get that to do some repairs. Yeah. Have you heard anything on those northeastern reservoirs or have you been out there to the point where there's some pretty good fishing that maybe while there's a day or two left, somebody might want to try to take advantage of? You know, I haven't heard anything about Jumbo. I know Sterling, but they're still getting some walleyes and some wipers on the the main lake point um, and on the deeper structure. They still are getting some fish. I hear there's a few fish getting caught out at Pruitt. The water level at Pruitt's looking a little better. And there are still some wipers and some pretty big wipers getting caught out at Jackson. Um, so that's one that if you want to go out and – you know, get a chance at a legitimate trophy will, um, you know, would be worth giving a shot to. Yeah, in fact, we're going to have Jackson Lake on right after you, in fact, and we'll get a, a, a right in-person update on the water level there. And Jackson has, has kept up with producing big wipers because they continued to stock it during some years. Other lakes didn't get stocked. Um, what are you seeing at Boyd? I know you're out there fishing. You're probably on a guide trip. What are you What are you looking for there, and what's going on? Well, Boyd's real interesting. You know, with the higher water, there's still some weeds in in uh, in good depth. You know, out to ten to twelve feet. So we're actually catching a lot of fish today, uh, pulling you know dragging bottom vouchers and spinners right along the edge of those weeds, and getting a real mixed bag. You know, bluegill. Uh, perch, some walleyes, and even, you know, there are some bass in the area that you're catching right there. And then there's a a lot of your walleyes and some of your white bass have moved out deep into about that 28 to 30 foot range pulling crankbaits. And if you get some flat, calm water, uh, you know, days, there actually are some white bass up uh, busting the surface. So keep your eyes open on that. I always have one or two rods rigged with either a twister or a, a shallow crankbait that I can uh, go chase those when they come up. They have, When they've been coming up this year, they're coming up for a minute or two, and then they're dropping back down. But give it, you know, 15 minutes, and they'll pop back up in that same general area. You know, one of the things I found at Boyd, and the water might be a little warm for it this year, is that when those white bass are busting the surface, I find that there's usually quite a few trout mixed in with them. Are you seeing any of that? There are quite a few trout up shallow um, chasing the shad around. So it's it's worth, um, you know, messing around with uh, some shallow water presentations. I really think that a fly angler first thing in the morning could catch some really nice trout with streamers, or even dry flies up in the shallower areas on the south and the north end, you're seeing a lot of those fish surface until the boat activity gets too crazy and pushes them down. Yeah, it's uh, Boyd hopefully will continue to fish. We need his access to as many waters as we can. Anything you're hearing or seeing about the smaller lakes or ponds, Brad? You know, one of the nice things about the ponds and 
you've got a lot of the ponds in the towns and St. Brain and there's some up by Mead is they aren't irrigation reservoirs, which most of our big lakes are. So the farmers are, are, or cities are drawing those lakes down. Those ponds stay with fairly level or, or constant water levels. So the opportunity to catch fish is pretty good in those. The one issue is that, um, you know, that they're getting fairly warm. So I would say if you want to get into the bite there, it's going to be an early morning, late evening thing until we start getting a few of those days, you know, down into the 70s, our, our lows into the 40s, and that'll cool those ponds down and give us activity all day long. Yeah, I would think that most bodies of water right now are stuck in a pretty hot summer pattern that isn't going to change for a while, and uh, people need to to keep that in mind. You know, one of the things that I was stressing in the open to the show, and you mentioned these water levels, is I don't think I'd pull my boat out anywhere without checking first, would you? No, I sure wouldn't. Not in the northeast. I hear the southeast is having, you know, issues as well. Uh, there's a few lakes, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Pueblo, that you know are going to have in Carter that are going to have good water levels and still be able to launch. But any of the other bodies of water, you know, go to the CPW website or check their Facebook pages, and they're doing a pretty good job keeping you up to date as to what's going on with the water level conditions and whether you're able to launch. Because nothing can ruin an outing more than if you decide to drive, say, two hours out to Jumbo and you get there to find out that the boat ramp's closed and uh, you're not going to be able to use the boat you just drug out there. So definitely take a little time to just 10 minutes worth of look and we'll save you a lot of headaches. Hey, the last thing I want to talk to you about, <clears throat> I know it's early to start talking waterfall, but uh, teal season isn't that far away, I believe, but how do you think these lakes drawing down so quickly? You know, it, it's not uncommon to have these drawdowns, but we've been fortunate the last few years that we've had a lot of water in the reservoirs. Is that going to affect the early waterfall seasons or even the late waterfall seasons as we get into them this fall? I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, but what are your thoughts? Well, if the lakes are really low, it can be difficult to set up and, and find cover along the edge of the lake. Uh, the birds are going to use it no matter what. But the nice thing is some of these lakes drew down pretty early, and you're going to get some grass and some other plants that grow up where the water has been pulled down from. And if the water starts raising and that starts flooding, that's big-time food for the waterfowl. So it is a great opportunity when that happens to get into some really good puddle duck hunting. You know, widgeons, gadwalls, uh, teal, and mallards can be really phenomenal on a year like this if we get some you know, some water to start filling those lakes back up. Yeah, I'll have to stay with you on that. You'll have to keep me appraised as we get closer. When do we start having some opportunities for waterfall here? Well, teal season is uh, typically the second weekend in September or the weekend after Labor Day, uh, and it runs nine days. And then the main waterfowl season, if you're up in the mountains, starts uh, the last part of September, and then our Eastern Plains stuff is starting about the 13th or so of October this year. So we're not that far away, and it may be worth the drive to go 
you know, one of the best things on a year like this is put a little windshield time in and do a little scouting and figure out where that water is because if stuff's dry and there's only limited water, that's going to concentrate the birds. If you know where that water is, you can get into some really good hunts. Yeah, and I think we'll keep people uh, praised. I've got some uh, articles I did for the Denver Post that I'll uh, put up on my Facebook page as we get closer. But early season, we've got some places that are really good for resident ducks before the migratory birds start coming down. And so you got to change your tactics. Uh, any last-minute comments, Brad? we got to move on. But if you were headed out, would you go to Boyd tomorrow or today? Or where would you go other than what you're at, Boyd? But well, I'm at Boyd today. I've got a guide trip. I'll be at Boyd tomorrow. Um, but with the fires up in the mountains, I'm going to kind of stay clear of the hills. So I'm going to look at either getting out early in the morning on some of the reservoirs or maybe, a, you know, right about dusk time. And up north, I'd say Carter I know is fishing well. Uh, Lon Hagler's doing pretty good. And Boyd would be my choices on the front range. Uh, Cherry Creek and Chatfield are good in the metro area. So if I was going to do that, those are probably the areas I'd head out to. All right, my friend, I'll let you get back to your clients. Good luck, and hopefully you get on lots of fish. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks a lot, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson. You can find him at Brad Peterson Outdoors on uh, social media. And, of course, uh, we'll post uh, his podcast here. You'll be able to follow him. We'll take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to take you up to Jackson Lake and talk to the people right up there about a lot of activities in addition to fishing that are still available. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. So, Kyle, do you think Bob Seeger and and uh, I forgot the other Seeger, the folk singer? Do you think the Pete Seeger? Do you think they're related? Maybe. No, their their last names are spelled different, so they're not. But. A lot of people have thought that, and I'm a fan of both of them, by the way. So I think they're I, I think they're both in that band, uh, Flock of Seegers, by the way. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, and I tell you what, they've been a partner with us for a while now this year. And the more I feature their uh, their associates on the radio talking about opportunities and equipment the more it's become evident that these guys are really knowledgeable outdoor enthusiasts that can help you. So if you're headed outdoors for anything, stop by a Jack's near you. Let's go right to the phones now. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife out at Jackson Lake is Darby Shanks. Good morning, Darby. Good morning. Hey, is it? Uh, are you getting any of the smoke out where you are? It's a little bit heavy where I am in Fort Collins. I would say yes. I mean, we have the... The haze is what I would call it out here. So it's out here for sure. But probably get away from it a little bit because you're further east. And conditions are changing where you're at. And let's talk right away. We were talking a little bit about Jackson in the previous segment and some of the big wipers you have. Are the ramps still open and what's it looking like? Um, Probably after this weekend, the ramps will not be looking so good. Um, Right now, no big boats. can't launch there's probably only a little over a foot and a half at the end of the boat ramp so mainly it's just jet skis and very small boats for this weekend and and then probably by next weekend we're probably going to be almost done totally with boating 
Now, what about hand launch craft? If somebody comes out with a kayak or a paddleboard or that type of thing, are they able to put those in the water? Yes, they are. You know, I would think, well, kayaks for fishing, you know, it can get a little windy out there. We want to make sure people understand that. But what a great lake you would have for kayaking and paddleboarding because it's got so many shallow areas. I would imagine the the, the water stays fairly warm. What, do you know what the water temperatures are now? Uh, last I knew was probably around 72 degrees. Yeah, and it stays warm. And you've got that beautiful, in fact, it was one of the top 10 beaches in the country for state parks. Um, I'll bet with the water dropping, you've got a lot of that sand exposed, right? We do. We have quite. We have a huge amount of sandy beaches right now. But eventually, um, when the lake is probably going to, what I've been told from the irrigation district, it'll probably get pulled all the way. So they're trying to uh, take all the water they can for the farmers this year. So when it gets farther out there, it will turn to mud along the shoreline. But I don't, I don't know when that will be yet. So, but right now, there's plenty of sandy beaches. And I would think that it'd be great to paddleboard along those beaches because the water's warm and the water's only about knee-deep along there. You could get out, and if you fall off or anything, it'd be just a great opportunity. You know what, Darby? We didn't tell people where Jackson Lake is located. I'm sure there's people new to the area. Why don't you tell people where it's located and describe the park a little? Sure. Uh, We're located about an hour and a half from the Denver uh, area along Interstate 76. We're about nine miles off of Interstate 76. Um, the exit mainly known as Exit 66, and you go north there. And then when the lake is full in the spring, it's usually about 2,600 acre, acre feet um, for surface. And then, But our, our storage is mainly for farmers. It's the farmer's water. So we get to have the um, great opportunity to recreate on there until they decide they need some water because if we're in the drought like we are this year, they need their water. So. I did hear fishing-wise, if you can get out there in a small craft, that they're still catching some really big wipers out there. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't recently. I know in the last few weeks they were taking some nice size uh, wipers. Um, I saw some 35-inchers, a 37-inch. Um, so they're in there, um, and I know some walleye are in there as well. Um, I think most people have probably been having luck along the dam right now from shore fishing. Um, if you can get out on a boat, uh, that's probably a good area to go. And then uh, I believe some people have been going out the outlet. So when the water's coming out of that dam, um, they have a little small area to fish, and sometimes there's fish in there. Now, there's a lot, you know, the fishing's going to be and the access to the water are going to change here, but there's a lot of things to do at Jackson Lake. In fact, you have camping year-round, and people think going out in the prairie that you're headed out into this barren land, but you have a lot of trees on some of your campgrounds. We do. We have a total of six campgrounds with roughly over 251 campsites. Um, three of our campgrounds stay open year-round, which have electricity in them. Um, we do have a dump station and water on site. And and it just um, it's just a beautiful place. You wouldn't know it till you get there. And you've got the lake, of course. Now, when you when you're out there, not only the camping, the fishing, but there's other activities. You guys put on a lot of programs. Now, one of those that you do every year is you have a Dutch oven and a chili cook off in the fall. Um, I, with the coronavirus, have you had to alter that? Is that still going to happen? 
uh, I was, I'm still able to have it. Um, I did get approval from the park manager. So we are going to have to tweak it um, of like how we're going to space everybody out. Um, but everybody cooks at their own campsite anyhow. So that helps. But when we uh, do the judging part, that will change a little bit this year. So the plan is still to have it on September 26th unless it gets uh, changed. But right now, that's our that's our ultimate goal right now. That's kind of your pride and joy, isn't it? You love that event. I do. I do. And I think it's part of our natural resources where we get to cook outdoors um, just to get to socialize with other people and their, their passion about it. Um, it's just kind of getting back to our roots, I think, a little bit. Yeah, isn't it amazing some of the things people cook in a Dutch oven over a fire? It's awesome. And I think half the time it's better better food when you're out camping. So, You know, it always seems like it tastes like it is, whether it is or not, doesn't it? I always used to say when I'd have a shore lunch up in Minnesota, the fish tastes better than the finest restaurants. It's just there's something about being out there. Um, you have other things going on, too. Don't you have um, – you're – you're trying to get certified as a dark area in the United States, and then you do astronomy out there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I think we're in the last 10 days of getting the being uh, called the Dark Skies Accredited Area. Um, so it's the Dark Skies Initiative. Um, I believe we're in the final phase of getting that accreditation. Um, so a lot of people do right now come out and uh, view the skies when there's not clouds. Um, it's a great area because there's not a lot of lighting um, in the campgrounds at all. We've reduced the light population, pollution, I should say. <laughs> so it's a great area. A lot of people do come out when there's the opportunity for especially certain things in the sky that they're looking forward to and trying to see. So it's become a popular area for sure. When you look up in the sky from there, doesn't it look like there's just a million stars? It's so different. If people who have spent their life in the city have never been out to a dark area to look up in the sky, it's it's almost impossible to describe it to them, isn't it? It is. And I've I've grown up on the eastern plains of Colorado. Um, it's, it's a different area for sure. And then going to the front range, you won't be able to see much at all because you have too much too much light up there in the city. So. And last, do you have any planned events for astronomy, or have those been put on hold? They've been put on hold this year uh, with the coronavirus. Um, so hopefully we'll have them back out next year um, for a couple of events. We'll see if they'll get us put on their schedule. That'd be awesome because they do an awesome program, and they bring their own telescopes. We do have a telescope at the um, at our park. Um, so... But, no, this weekend they're having an archery program with a couple other programs that are going on. So our intern person is handling that, and they'll probably be awesome programs. Yeah, and if you want to check for what's going on at the park, uh, just go to the Facebook page or the website. And, Darby, I know that our parks, all of them, have a lot of activities going on. We still want people to get outdoors. Thank you for joining us, Darby. Absolutely. Thank you. Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors, serving the outdoor public in Colorado for 65 years. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Seen sunny days that I thought James Taylor. Your song selections are doing well. Yeah, your producer helped me out a little 
Yeah, she kind of knows what music I like, doesn't she? You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I'll tell you what, if you're fishing, kayaking, hiking, hunting, camping, even grilling, make Jack's your first stop. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Rebecca Farrell. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. A little bit putting up with the smoke, which, you know, you and I, we're going to talk about how warm water and flows affect fishing, especially trout. But I think we should mention in this segment that with the fires going on, people need to be aware of where they're headed and planning and understand the situations. I think we should stress that, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that we saw this year with with so many things going on in our world and in our environment, um, we have a lot of additional fishing license sales this year. And so there's a lot of people who either have probably never been fishing and taking it up as a new hobby, or maybe some of those who, who gave it up for a while and found that when everything else was closed and the outdoors were still open, it was a really good thing to take up. But there's a lot of responsibility that goes on with fishing in Colorado, especially as we deal with these later summer months, the droughts, and certainly all the wildfires going on right now. You're right. Well, you know, there's a lot of responsibility in the outdoors in general. If you're going to, you really need to take ownership and recreate responsibly. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we get into this. But fishing in particular, you know, the trout are a tremendous resource, especially our wild trout streams. But a lot of our rivers this time of the year do get affected. It's been exceptionally warm this year. Uh, and the flows haven't been exceptionally high. Like maybe the last couple of years, we've been a little more fortunate. We had cooler weather later into the year and longer flows. Uh, how does this affect the fishing? What should people be aware of, Rebecca? Sure. So um, especially with trout, trout are, are definitely a cold water fish, and, and they're going to function best and, and be happiest when the water is in that 50 to 60 degree sweet spot. Um, when we're dealing with the type of heat that we've had in Colorado recently, certainly drought conditions all around the state, um, that's meaning lower water levels, lower flows, and, and that depletes the oxygen levels in the water. And so that's really rough on trout. Once we get closer to that 70 degrees and, and anywhere over for the waters, um, they're going to stop feeding. They're going to be more susceptible to disease. They're going to be more sluggish. And it's definitely when we would encourage people to, to maybe take a break and think about when they're fishing and where they're fishing. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know, all you need to do is keep a little uh, uh stream or water thermometer in your pocket fly fishermen carry them all the time and test the water you know and i know that the recommendation is if it gets up around 70 maybe to stop but if it gets over 60 at all i think hard about maybe trying uh, to fish somewhere else or a different time of the day uh when you know i i would think the biologist would probably recommend that early in the morning is the best time to fish Definitely early in the morning. And in fact, um, you know, given some of the conditions, we do have some voluntary closures on uh, some of our western slope rivers. And so um, those are voluntary closures from two to midnight. And so if you think about it, you really want to be on and off the water, preferably by noon, really, as things start to really heat up, the sun comes out to its full strength during the day. Right. Obviously, the water gets a chance to cool down, the the flows from up higher come down so that by early morning, the water is probably the coolest can be. You know, another good piece of advice, I think, is just to, if you if you want to really experience Colorado, this is the time to maybe hike up a little higher, go up to, you know, a Zimmerman or an Agnes, or go up in Rocky Mountain National Park, or go up in uh, 
like the I, I guess you don't want to send them up to the state forest area right now because because the fires are burning up there. But maybe get up a little higher, the Indian Peaks Wilderness area. And, you know, the small streams up there can produce some wonderful fishing. And because you're higher in altitude, you may be able to get away from the warm water. Absolutely. You know, the, those higher elevation trout lakes and streams, the, the temperatures are, are a little more friendly. Um, the fishing doesn't add quite as much stress. And um, to go back to your thermometer point, I think, you know, even our seasoned anglers um, have the the, fe- the feel, right? They're, they're putting their hands on it. They're saying, this feels about right. Um, but when it's so warm, it's so dry, you can still get fooled. Um, and so, you know, what feels pretty cool to your hand when you're standing in a 90-degree day, even 70-degree water is going to feel pretty cool. So we definitely advise bringing that, that thermometer along, throw it in your vest, throw it in your waders, and, and just keep that handy so that when you are getting to your point in that, in that above 60, you know, anywhere above 65, you can start thinking about calling it a day. One other thing, too, when the water's warmer, be a lot more careful how you handle a fish. A lot of our Absolutely. trout streams, a lot of them are catch and release, or, or even if they're not, a lot of fly and even conventional anglers. I mean, there's areas where we stock trout, and we have other sure. species, and, and there's no reason not to harvest some of those fish. should be part of the experience. There's also streams that are fragile. They have wild fish, or they're lightly stocked, and you can have a high impact on mortality during this type of a, this time of the year, can't you? You can. You know, one of the things, again, it it seems intuitive to those who've been doing it a lot for a long time, but if you're newer to Colorado or newer to angling, um, really important to make sure you keep your hands wet before handling fish and try and keep those fish underwater while you're unhooking and releasing. Um, It's also, you know, the age of social media, right? We all want to kind of take pictures of what we're doing and and how we're doing it. But when you're in conditions like these, you know, you really want to reduce stress on the fish. And so even taking the fish out of the water for quick photos can be really, really stressful. Um, And you can see that, you know, when you when you do release the the fish and and they're really lethargic, they're not swimming away from you as quickly as you might expect, you know that they're pretty stressed. And so that's the time again to to really kind of think about whether or not it's a good time to continue fishing. And how about as far as is I know divisional wildlife parks and wildlife rather doesn't control the water, but are you able to work with any other agencies to maybe get some extra releases at these times or things like that? Um, you know, we, we obviously work very closely with all of our partners at the Fish and Wildlife Service, BLM, and all of the, the public land managers around the state. And so um, as conditions change, like I said, we do have some of those voluntary closures on, on the White River and on the Colorado River in particular. And so we're always working with those other agencies to kind of think about how we might be able to uh, keep people outdoors, keep people doing the activities they love, but also making sure that, that we're not endangering our fisheries. So certainly on the table. And a good way to find out what is going on is the fishing report comes out every two weeks, and I actually post that on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and it just came out yesterday. And they address a lot of what's going on in the rivers right in that report. So take a look at that, folks. You know, uh, before I let you go, Rebecca, um, people need to be responsible not only with fishing, but we're getting a, a huge number of people that are going outdoors more than they ever have before because of the on of other activities haven't been available. Um, and we need most of them for the most part are pretty good, but there's a few. And I think it's worth noting that you really need to take responsibility when you're out there, don't you? 
You do. I mean, there's a reason that we all, you know, love to live and play here in Colorado, and it's all of these natural resources we have all around us. But if we're not being responsible, if we're not taking good care to make sure our campfires are put out, if we are not cleaning up our fishing line after we go angling, if we're, you know, trying to to sneak in uh, things that we shouldn't from an exploding target perspective onto our ranges, you know, you have the damage to really, or the potential to really damage these resources. And so, um, everything from just leaving trash out, you know, rangers are not butlers. Um, and I know we've all been cooped up and, and we've all been looking for ways to, to get away from some of the things that we have to do every day at home, the cooking, the cleaning up and all of that. But, you know, our rangers are there to protect the resources, not to clean up after you. And so there's just a lot of small things that, that all of us can do. Again, picking up your fishing line seems somewhat innocuous if you left a little bit of line, but one bird getting tangled in that you know, is is really traumatic for for us to have to go and and find or try and help those birds that get tangled up. And so literally every activity that you're doing outside, make sure that you are really leaving no trace. You're you're picking up after yourself. You're not doing the things you're not supposed to. You're staying on a trail. You're planning for weather and, and water conditions and all the things we just talked about. It will not only make your experience outside so much better, but it will certainly make uh, a much less of an impact on the natural resources so that our kids and our grandkids can all enjoy the same things we're enjoying today. All right. And while you're out there, be considerate of others and share the resource. Rebecca, we've got to go, but you know, the the message we want to leave is please get outdoors and enjoy it. We want you to just do it responsibly. Thank you so much for joining us today. You got it, Terry. Thanks. You bet. Rebecca Farrell from Parks and Wildlife. Um, you know, a lot of this, uh, we, we don't want to be preachy, but just we want everybody outdoors. We want you sharing it. By the way, don't forget, we have a trivia question coming up yet this show. We'll be giving away some prizes right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, how do you not tap your foot when Dire Straits comes down? You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us, and I know he's a huge Dire Straits fan, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Well, I kind Good of morning, Terry. How are you? I kind of threw that part in. I don't even know if you like Dire Straits. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we're certainly a fan of yours, and we love having you on the show. Uh, we've been talking a lot about what's going on, the fires, the falling water, the uh hot warm water conditions well you really have to plan your fishing outings right now don't you more so than we've seen all year long but there's still some good opportunities really to be had out there uh, both close to home and longer range so where would you go if you were headed out next today through the next week or two so if you want to stay closer on the front range although the boat traffic can be a bit heavy chatfield with the lack of shad that we've seen over the last several years is still kind of there at the moment so we are seeing really good fishing and, and more of a, an early summer to midsummer type pattern rather than the late summer heavy shad hatches that require a lot of trolling so the numbers have been very effective out there but as we move up into the high country and somewhat away from the fires the arkansas river drainage would certainly be high on my list that provides Great fishing, whether you want to fish uh, a high elevation, smaller stream with dry flies up on the headwaters in the Hayden Meadows area. But as you move down, you gain a lot of water pretty quickly, and you can do anything from throwing hard lures or marabou jigs or or nymph fishing or or true pounding the banks hopper fishing with fly rods. 
Yeah, I, I love this time of the year for fly fishing. In fact, I was up in uh, Estes, and well, I, I fished the uh, the Fall River with just a little hopper dropper. I'll tell you what, if you're if you're not the most advanced technical fly fisherman, a hopper dropper right now can get you both surface action and some takes on the nymph below it, and it just can get you into fish, and it's an easy rig to fish. It really is, and the other big advantage to it as well is so many people come to me and ask, okay, well, what's the magic fly out there? Well, this time of year, there's less of an equation of magic flies as there really is more of a, a magic presentation. So if you, you can catch them on a hundred different patterns right now, but the key is a nice drag-free drift and keeping your casts shorter most times. That's another thing I see a lot of people mess up with as far as fly fishing is they, they try and cast too long and that line gets hung up in that middle of the, the current uh, of faster water, and it pulls the fly right out of the hole. And once that, that happens, uh, fish will see that and touch onto it immediately. And when, when you're fly fishing and dry dropper fishing especially, that first cast and the first two casts especially are really going to be where you're going to catch, catch most of your fish in a given, given location. So something like a hopper or a humpy or a royal wolf or an elk hair caddis or a whole host of other things with things, little mayfly droppers, a copper john or, or a pheasant tail or a little PMD down below and even caddis nymphs all can produce great numbers of fish in all sorts of circumstances uh, right now all across the state. Well, a couple of things, too, when I do it, um, if I'm in an area where I can get some pretty long drifts, then I'm like you. I don't want to make long casts because you do have those cross currents and those different currents. It's hard for even an experienced fly angler to make the mends to keep that, that fly in the drift. So, but you can get close enough into that seam. But I also find that you get some of these shallower streams up high, if you, all you need to do is drop that into a little pocket, and if you don't get hit within two, three feet, pick it up and recast it and drop exactly. it. You don't have to have it in the air for an hour either. <laughs> no, and, and the, the more your fly is in the air, the more your chance is that you're going to get uh, hung up somewhere, whether it be on a bush or, or you can tangle yourself up. But in general, the more time your fly is in the water, the more you're going to be catching fish. So if you can just pick up and drop right back down again into your next spot, if you can learn to do that, you're going to catch more fish. Hey, I got I want to go back to Chatfield for a minute. Um, have they? Have you heard anything? When are they? I know they're going to refill it and bring the water up higher. Has any of that taken place at all? It is not. And uh, earlier this season, in talking with the park manager, the thought process was that it was going to happen this year. And I don't know the reason why it didn't. I'm not sure if it was due to less water earlier in the season or something to do with COVID. Um, but we did not see a rise this year. And in fact, we're actually about five feet low at the moment. So we'll kind of wait to see what we're going to happen with some snowpack this next year. But at the moment, uh, all your same locations like the roadbed and the bridge and all the same humps that everyone's used to still are very much in play at the moment. What about Cherry Creek and Pueblo? Are you hearing anything about those? Both of which have had very good shad hatches this year. And those extra shad hatches really turn into early morning. You can get them up really shallow, especially at Cherry Creek. Uh, my favorite jigging wraps and blade baits certainly are very effective during that time of uh, day. But once you get much sunshine up at all it transitions pretty heavily into a trolling bite at least for numbers wise and uh, we're, we're, th we're trolling small salmon hornets berkeley flicker shads out there certainly and uh, up high in the water column so some of those new shallow diving berkeley flicker shads even when we're at pueblo and we're fishing you know over 50 plus feet of water i'm only running those baits down 
three or four feet behind a planer board. And the whole purpose of that is that those walleyes are pushing those shad schools up near the surface. And I truly find that the more active fish when you're trolling open water are up higher in the water column. You know, um, if people want to learn how to do that, if they go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, Gary Darling and I did a virtual school on pulling crankbaits shallow in the water, five to ten feet deep over at Glendo, over 60 feet of water and virtually harvested. Oh, yeah. Now, it was filmed a while ago, but the techniques and the tactics are still the same. And so people need to go take a look at that. In fact, Dan Swanson's going to come on later in the show, and we're going to talk trolling rigging so but pueblo overall are they catching fish is it mostly trolling or they get what about the bass down there the bass fishing had they've still been up shallow and with the additional little uh, shad that are in that lake right now throwing topwater lures early can be pretty deadly so little poppers uh zara spooks and zara puppies especially and then uh, some of the new plopper style baits like uh, some of the chapos from berkeley have been very very effective and working those early in the morning can be very good. But then I've been talking to some folks that have been having a lot of uh, really good success on a double weightless fluke rig where you're tying two of them in line and letting those sink down and having something with a little bit more salt in it that sinks well uh, certainly is effective. But just light little twitches in those shallow water areas, you're going to have those flukes dart side to side, and that can be very, very effective right now. And a few folks are still catching them on uh, some spinner baits and, and lipless crank baits, and to go along with those, uh, a wiper here and there is uh, coming to play as well. I love fishing soft baits at Pueblo, uh, mainly because first of all, you have three species of bass there, and it kind of opens up your uh, opportunities a little more. Uh, you, oh, can, yeah. you can fish them at fish them at different depths, and then you never know when you're going to pick up a wiper or a big trout or walleye fishing this. The small, the soft baits down there. Although I like what you said that the walleyes are probably a more of a trolling bite right now. But as they school up towards fall, we'll get that spoon bite going. I think it could be a good year for the spoon bite in the fall this year. I completely agree, and that's one of my favorites. Late fall, even and into winter time out there. So if people are looking to plan that winter time camping trip or late fall camping trip, vertical jigging spoons and jigging wraps off that deep structure out there can be deadly, deadly effective. Now, I want to ask you about one more activity that's coming up real soon that I know you partake in, and I call it shooting at and missing doves. Some people call it the dove season, but <laughs> but um, have you been out? You probably haven't had a chance to scout yet, but I would think with the warm weather that we should have a lot of, re- you know, the, the doves shouldn't have moved on. We should have, they should be resident yet. Is that your feeling? Yeah. And as long as we continue that same weather pattern, I think that we'll certainly see that. But I think one pattern that we'll likely see pretty heavily is hunting around water with how dry we've been. So I don't think we're going to have a ton of water, standing water out on the eastern plains unless something drastically changes. So focusing in and around that water, I think, is going to provide the, the best hunting opportunities, really. And, um, you know, so, so doing your scouting and trying to find a water hole or or work in the river, uh, I think is definitely going to be the uh, the best bet for really good success out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, well, Nate's going to come up next, so we're going to talk some big game hunting. But even the pronghorns out there right now, I oh, think man, if yeah. you went back, if you went back, if you went back maybe a couple months ago, you'd wonder if you should hunt water holes because we had plenty of rain. But I think okay. right now, water holes are going to be crucial for a lot of hunting. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, you've just got to stay on top of that. And, uh, and, you know, I tease about dove hunting, but it's a great, great opportunity in Colorado to get out and use your shotgun, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the other thing talking about dove hunting is you can slip out and 
you know, flip the call out of clays and, and try and shoot a couple rounds of trap or sporting clays, it really does help. And as you've mentioned over the years, shooting really is a, a perishable sport. And, uh, you know, it, it's a skill that, that you got to brush up on and make sure your leads are right. And, and the other thing I like as far as dove hunting is shoot the load that you're going to be hunting with. So make sure your velocities are really close together and, uh, you know, get, get something so you really can get dialed in on those leads. And that same skill is going to transition, whether you're moving into an early sage grouse season or duck seasons or into your pheasants. So all that stuff, uh, you know, heading out and out and hitting some sporting clays is definitely going to be worthwhile. Well, you know, and I tease, but a sporting clay is actually about the size of a dove. And if you go and practice clays, it'll make you a much better dove hunter. And don't, don't use dove as I mean you can use doves as your tune-up but do like you said a tune-up shoot first what size shot do you like to use for doves typically I like seven and a half early in the season and once you're a week or two in and you're having doves that are starting to get a little bit uh, a little more wary I'll switch into some sixes at times but uh, typically that seven and a half is the the shell I'm shooting and I like more of a heavy game load still low brass but at least an ounce and an eighth but, uh, you know, working through even into an ounce and a quarter later in the season, although definitely stout, will work better. But I'm going to start off with a seven and a half ounce and an eighth load. All right. Austin, if people want to get talk to you, just get more information or book a guide trip with you. How do they, where do they find you? So I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on Santa Fe. You can find me here on a daily basis. All right, my friend. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Terry. You have a great day. You bet, Austin Parr, great resource. We'll take a quick time out, and Nate Zielinski will join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.